And this agent was working on an event, working security at an event, and a celebrity had approached trying to enter the event. There were some high-profile individuals inside, and I think he wanted to say hi to somebody, something along those lines. And the agent informed him, you're not allowed inside. And the celebrity insisted, and he said to this gentleman, no, you're not allowed inside. And finally, the celebrity made the mistake of trying to push his way past the agent, at which point the agent dutifully threw him up against the wall and told him, you're, you're not allowed in. Where, and he was told the line, you're probably half expecting at this point, don't you know who I am? And he says, yes, I do. You're not on the list. This celebrity was trying to gain something for themselves with the privilege of their status, only to find that it was not theirs to have. And it's interesting, Jesus asks a similar question, but it's anything but self-serving in this passage. Our passage today is expanded from the lectionary gospel passage for this Sunday, which looks at Jesus' transfiguration. But that event is tied to the previous conversations about his identity and the implications for his followers. Instead of asking, don't you know who I am? Jesus asks who people say he is. And we see Peter's direct confession of who Jesus is. Followed by Jesus' explanation of what that means for himself and all who follow him. Followed by a heavenly recognition of who Jesus is. And these verbal declarations of who Jesus is are direct enough. But the episode on the mountain illuminates all the more what his identity means for us. And it gives us insight into the example that he sets for all who would follow him. Who Jesus is informs who we are if we follow him. Now, this passage has some of the most direct statements of who Jesus is, beginning with Peter's. Jesus is God's Messiah. It's hard to put it more forwardly than that. And Peter first gives us insight into the impression people are getting of him. Some think he's John the Baptist, raised to life, who had been recently executed. Some think Elijah, a powerful prophet from the Old Testament. Or at the very least, I think he might be one of the prophets raised to life. They recognize there's something supernatural about him and that he is a prophet. And these things, of course, are not untrue. But they fall short of the full reality. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's the long-awaited Messiah. The anointed one of God promised through the prophets, Peter is correct. And Matthew's gospel, his answer is even affirmed by Jesus. But then Jesus orders them not to tell anyone. And this always bothered me growing up when I read the gospels, when Jesus told them not to tell anyone. Why? Isn't this good news? Isn't Jesus receiving opposition because people don't understand who he is? Yes, however, 
the truth is not to be revealed on human terms. And there's good reason for that. The picture people have of the Messiah is very different than how Jesus' messianic mission plays out. Most people expect the Messiah to come as a liberator in the earthly and political sense. In the most immediate sense, one who would defeat the occupying Roman Empire and give Israel back its political kingdom. And instead, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He says again, 944, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But it says that the disciples didn't grasp this, that it was hidden from them, even though they were afraid to ask him about it, because this image is very different than the one they have. What the Messiah will actually do doesn't look like human expectations. Instead of overthrowing Rome, he will instead be executed by Rome. But what will look like defeat will instead accomplish a greater victory than any military or political conquest ever could. And if too many people identify him as the Messiah too soon, it could bring premature opposition to his ministry, or it could cause an insurrection. As Peter says, he is God's Messiah. That is, he is chosen by God to fulfill the mission of God according to the plan of God. Not to fulfill human expectations. He comes to accomplish much more. But that plan goes through the pain and suffering of the cross. That, of course, isn't the end of the story. What looks like defeat in Jesus' death on the cross becomes the glory of Easter as he is raised from the dead, giving us the hope of eternal life. And there's a taste of it For Peter, James, and John, as they get a glimpse of Jesus' glory when they go up the mountain with him to pray, and he's lit up like lightning, and he's joined by Moses and Elijah, two prophets who powerfully show up in in the scriptures, framing the scriptures as both the, the prophets and the law. And Peter has that odd proposition to put up three shelters, and some think, Perhaps he's recognizing an end-time event with their presence, or he may just be simply trying to provide a way to prolong the experience. Whatever the case, the passage is sure to tell us that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And who could blame him? I doubt many would find room for eloquence during an event like this. And the episode on the mountain shows us that Jesus is the divine Son of God. The cloud on the mountain calls to mind God's presence as Moses encountered it in Exodus. And the voice, it references Deuteronomy 18.15, which says, and this is Moses talking, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. 
That's why the voice is saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is the second heavenly voice we get informing who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God, the chosen Messiah. Listen to him. All the same, Moses and Elijah are talking to him about his departure, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to come. Which shows us something interesting. Even in the midst of his glory, they're talking about the suffering that he's going to undergo. On the way to providing us eternal life. Jesus uses his power and his privilege to serve and to save us. This, of course, has implications for those of us who would follow him. He says it earlier, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And he expands on this statement saying, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, the word translated life, it's referring both to physical and spiritual life. And these are difficult sayings. And unfortunately, we often reference bearing our cross in our culture with regard to shouldering burdens generally or difficult scenarios like disease or maybe difficult relationships. Any burden. And those are, to be sure, realities of life, but this is speaking much more holistically and much more intentionally than that. We have to recognize the cross is an instrument of execution and humiliation on which Jesus would die. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to die. And the specification of daily means that whatever Jesus has in mind, it's referring to a holistic lifestyle. The lifestyle of following Jesus is a lifestyle of self-denial and sometimes even humiliation. It's both literal and speaking to faithfulness, even if it costs someone their life. But also metaphorical in that it is an everyday dying to oneself to submit to Christ's lordship. It's a continual lifestyle. This saying is all too real for many of our sisters and brothers around the world who are not even able to gather to worship openly as we do every Sunday. And when they do gather, it's often at risk to their own lives or their family's well-being. Many of our persecuted siblings know this truth all too well. These words are much more difficult to digest for those of us who live more privileged lives. What does it mean for us who can worship freely? Who live where the poverty line is much higher and who might be much more wealthy than the rest of the world? Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain, this glimpse of his glory, is instructive for us. 
even though Jesus has the divine power and privilege of being the beloved Son of God, he doesn't use it to his own advantage, but instead uses it to serve even to the point of giving up his life through one of the worst methods this world had to offer. Paul spells out the implications for us. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he puts it like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus does not use his status as the world does. He does not use his messiahship as the world expects him to. He doesn't ask, don't you know who I am, seeking worldly gain. He instead asks the question of who people recognize him to be. Who do you say that I am? And explains what that means for us if we do, in fact, recognize who he is. He asks us to recognize his identity as the Messiah who lives and dies in sacrificial service. This is countercultural, not just in the immediate context, but even to our culture today. It's no wonder the, the apostles lag in understanding throughout the Gospels. Shortly after this, they're arguing about who among them is the greatest. But Jesus clarifies, it is the one who is least among you. It is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. Jesus wants his followers to follow his example. If we follow Jesus, we love like Jesus. We serve like Jesus. Our persecuted family around the world remains faithful through threats to their own life because they know that Jesus is more valuable than anything this world could offer. And that eternal life with him definitely outshines anything we might gain in this world. Jesus wants us to have this perspective. That's why he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The implications for the end times are pretty direct. Seeking our own self-preservation and seeking to serve only ourselves eventually results in separation from Jesus when he comes in glory as judge because that's not what he's about. The perspective of living with the hope of being with him forever in mind is what he wants his followers to have. As Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he wants us to live sacrificial lives with the hope of eternal life in mind. All the same, 
We do ourselves a disservice and our world if we can find every benefit to following Jesus to the afterlife. I love the way Luke puts it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Whatever the cost, life is better with Jesus. We find our self. We find who we are supposed to be when we love like Jesus, when we live and love selflessly. It's a paradox, but it's true that when we lose our lives, when we give up our privilege and our power to serve others, when we love others sacrificially, even at our own expense, when instead of our focus being our self-preservation, we give all we are and have to Jesus to be disposed of however he sees fit, in that place we have true life, now and forever. This Lent, let's recognize who Jesus is, God's Messiah, the one who may not do things the way we expect or even the way we might like him to, but who nonetheless shows us a better way to live. He is the divine son of God and yet uses his power and his privilege to serve and to save us. As we follow him, we'll find that we are freed from ourselves, that we may serve like him and love like him. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a lifestyle in which we'll find true life. Let's continue worshiping our God.